Board Round, session number 22. The moment you step foot on campus as a medical student, you are gearing up for one of the biggest tests you'll ever have to take, USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1. The medical school headquarters and board vitals are going to help you prepare for your first board exam with questions, pearls of information, and guidance to make sure you have what it takes to score high and match into your specialty of choice. Welcome to Board Rounds, the podcast dedicated to your USMLE and Comlex prep. We are a free podcast that comes out weekly by myself, Dr. Ryan Gray from MedEd Media, and Karen from Board Vitals. Now, if you don't know about Board Vitals, they are a mega huge platform for all healthcare learning, and they specifically focus on USMLE Step 1, Comlex Level 1, Step 2 as well, as well as the shelf exams for later on in your medical school journey. If you go to boardvitals.com, check out the QBanks that they offer with 1,700 plus questions to help you prepare for step one for level one. And you can use the promo code BOARDROUNDS, that's all one word, all capital letters, BOARDROUNDS, to save 15% off. Let's go and jump in. Say hello to Karen. Karen, back for some more board rounds. How are you doing today? Hey, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to see how much more medicine I have forgotten. <laughs> you really do well, on these, to be honest. But let's see if I can stomp you with some pathophysiology. Here we go. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay. okay. A 45-year-old male presents to the hospital with abdominal pain and vomiting. He began to experience adult pain in the epigastrium two days prior to admission that has progressively worsened. The pain radiates to his back. He's had several episodes of bilious, non-bloody vomiting. He has no prior medical conditions, and he takes no medications. He has a 20-pack year history of tobacco and drinks 6 to 10 beers daily. Vital signs reveal a temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit and a heart rate of 102 beats per minute. He appears uncomfortable. On exam, his abdomen is soft and mildly distended with marked right upper quadrant and epigastric tenderness to palpation. There is no rebound or guarding. He has hypoactive bowel sounds and no palpable masses or hepatosplenomegaly are appreciated. Laboratory studies reveal a hemoglobin of 12.8 grams per deciliter, leukocytes 14,500 cells per millimeter per cubic millimeter with 81% PMNs and 16% lymphocytes. Platelet count is 170,000, and total bilirubin is 1 gram per deciliter with a direct bilirubin of 0.4 grams per deciliter. Alkaline phosphatase, 90 IE per liter. Aspartate aminotransferase, or AST, is 88. Alanine aminotransferase is 78. And serum amylase is 1,447 international units per liter. What is one of the pathophysiological mechanisms of this patient's condition? And the options are A, pancreatic duct obstruction due to a stone, B, activation of pancreatic stellate cells, C, viral infection, D, intraductal stone formation, and E, toxic fatty acids in pancreatic microcirculation. 
your guess? <laughs> oh, oh, um, oh man. So we got lots of lab values this time. I'm trying to think through which ones stood out to me as really abnormal. That was a long list. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you repeat them just for the the listener as well? So hemoglobin is 12.8. White blood cells are 14.5. Neutrophils and 16% lymphocytes. Platelets of 170,000. Total billy of one gram per deciliter. Direct billy of 0.4 grams per deciliter. Alkphos is 90. AST is 88. ALT is 78. Serum amylase is 1447. Mm. On the exam, so I'm listening to these. On the exam, will they give normal ranges or will they expect you to know them? They, um, they have a normal value table, so I can probably should go through that. So it's hemoglobin is like minimally low. White blood cells are minimally elevated. And if you want, I can uh, read the normal values, but it'll take That's me a second right. to pull that up. Okay. Um, platelets are normal. Bilirubin is a little bit elevated. Uh, Alkphos, um, slightly elevated, as are the AST and the ALT. You know, the normals are somewhere in the 40s, and the amylase is obviously pretty pretty elevated. Yeah. Um, all right. And so we have the pancreatic duct stone. What was the second choice about the stellate cells? Activation of pancreatic stellate cells. Activation. Oh, okay. Um, a viral infection, you said, was third? Yes. Mm-hmm. Introductal stone and then toxic fatty acid. Um, so I am clueless here. Uh, the serum amylase... Um, again, just kind of thinking through, that's the number that stood out to me the most as kind of being the most elevated. And so then I'm like, okay, where, uh, where does serum amylase come from? And I'm pretty sure it comes from the pancreas. Uh, mm-hmm. and so there's something going on with the pancreas is pissed off and, or there's, um, uh, maybe a potential blockage where the amylase isn't getting to where it needs to go. And so the pancreatic duct stone sounds like it is something that is interesting to me. So I'll leave that one on the Mm -hmm. table. Stellite cells, I don't remember what those are, so I'm going to skip that one. Viral infection, I'm going to skip. The intraductal stone, again, another blockage kind of thing. I'm like, oh, maybe. Um, Toxic fatty acid, I'm like, well, he he drinks a ton of beers, but I don't think maybe that's what's going on with this one. Uh, So I would have to go with A, um, just as a kind of narrowing it all down. Okay. So um, let me start off by saying I think that um, with respect to activation of pancreatic stellate cells, maybe should have read pathologic activation of pancreatic stellate cells. Um, Obviously, you're right about that amylase. And I believe probably the author did not put in elevated lipase, but this is pancreatitis. And um, that lipase is also probably elevated. It's more specific for pancreatitis than amylase, which can be released by other cells as well. So the most common cause of pancreatitis is gallstone pancreatitis, but this guy has a history of pretty heavy drinking. Mm -hmm. And 
the second most common cause of pancreatitis is related to alcohol. It's not really clear uh, exactly how they're related. And most chronic alcoholics do not end up with chronic alcoholic pancreatitis, but uh, it definitely is related. It seems to be related also to other risk factors. And the one of the mechanisms is hyperactivation of pancreatic stellate cells, which are the cells that regulate, uh, they're activated by alcohol, also by acetaldehyde, and they regulate the deposition and the degradation of the pancreatic extracellular matrix proteins. So they secrete the matrix proteins, and then, and this is definitely a pathophysiology question that probably, uh, you know, the USMLE candidates would be way more up to date on than your eye searching our memories. But um, anyway, they regulate both, uh, secrete both matrix proteins and metalloproteinases that degrade the matrix proteins. So they regulate um, all the extracellular matrix proteins in the pancreas. And whenever they're hyperactivated, overactivated by ethanol and acetaldehyde, the metabolite of ethanol, it uh, the matrix becomes fibrotic, and that's one of the mechanisms of chronic pancreatitis. The other really interesting thing about the stellate cells is they also express ADH, and whenever they're overactivated, it seems to perpetuate a cycle of autocrine act, uh, reactivation, so it you know self-perpetuating. The other mechanisms of uh, alcoholic pancreatitis, so alcohol is metabolized by both oxidative and non-oxidative metabolism. Um, mechanisms. And there are changes in ACE in our cells uh, that increase activation of intracellular digestive enzymes. So there's like an auto-digestive component. There is also, um, apparently, there there's some transient decrease in pancreatic blood flow that results from the action of ethanol. And it is thought to cause some focal ischemic injury to the pan pancreas. And uh, finally, yeah, trypsin, uh, inappropriately activated. Oh, and then there's an increase in ductal permeability with uh, caused by alcohol, related to alcohol use. It's dose-related, and it makes it possible for these improperly activated enzymes to leak out of the duct into the surrounding tissue, which just adds to the inflammation and fibrosis. So that's the mechanism of chronic alcoholic pancreatitis. And any one of those, I guess, could have been uh, asked uh, as a USMLE Step 1 question. Um, do you want to go through the other ones? Yes, please. Okay. So <clears throat> uh, let's see what I... Uh, answer one, gallstone pancreatitis. Okay, the biliary stone obstructs the pancreatic duct. It's not completely known what causes pancreatitis after obstruction. There's like an increase in, in pancreat, intrapancreatic pressure. And animal studies show that the retrograde flow of biliary salts itself does not cause pancreatitis. But anyway, this patient um, doesn't have a previous history given a biliary colic. Is uh, bilirubin is relatively actually relatively normal, and uh, patients with a stone obstruction usually have a, a direct uh, hyperbilirubinemia, which does not have the viral infection. Uh, mumps and Coxsackie virus have been implicated in some sporadic cases of pancreatitis, 
but that's unusual, and this patient doesn't have a history of it. And again, usually the SMLE questions will give you the information you need to jump to the diagnosis. Not jump to it, but you know they'll give you what you need, and they're not going to give you confusing information. And D, I believe that uh, option was, uh, hang on one second, let me go back and check that. Oh, introductal stone formation. Um, so, with respect to introductal stone formation, this is what causes pancreatitis in patients who have hypercalcemia due to hyperparathyroidism or some other condition. They usually have addition, additional features mentioned in the history that are associated with hypercalcemia, like constipation or kidney stones, you know, the stones, bones, groans, and moans. And finally, fatty acid deposition with ensuing inflammation is thought to be the mechanism of pancreatitis in patients who have familial hyperlipidemia. They have to have really high triglycerides, usually before this occurs. I think it's over, uh, their triglycerides are usually over 800. Um, and they would usually have other features mentioned like xanthoma or early atherosclerosis or family history. So that's kind of that question. All right, so there you have it. Another episode of Board Rounds in the book. My winning streak is done. That's okay. I'm here for you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. And don't forget to go to boardvitals.com. Use the promo code BOARDROUNDS to save 15% off your purchase of a QBank. This is MedEd Media.